I'm not sure where I first heard this, but imagine for a, a moment that um, the Apostle Paul from the first century was transported into our service today. Now, a, a lot of things would strike him as very odd. Uh, he wouldn't understand our language. First of all, he wouldn't understand what we were saying. He would come into this context and it would not become apparent to him immediately that we're a church. Because so much of this would be foreign to him. So he wouldn't understand the words. He wouldn't understand that there's such a thing as a bound book that's the inspired word of God. He wouldn't understand the music probably. Uh, the fact that uh, we're set, set, set up in chairs like this in this room. Or even having a building since the first century church didn't even have buildings that they met in. And so he would come here and not necessarily understand that this is the church. Until the moment we took the bread and the cup and we shared it together. Because these two simple elements would be so familiar to him. Despite all the other cultural language issues and the barriers that would keep him from understanding what this is. At that moment that we took the bread and the cup, he would know. This is a gathering of people who love Jesus like I do. And he would be able to engage with us at that very moment in this very precious time of communion. Because we would be bound together by the one thing that's just so important. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. And with gratitude we would share in the beauty of that communion. That God has given to us for each of us to share together in our communion with him. We're talking about the one ordinance or sacrament, but of course there's two ordinances that Christ gives to us. They're uh, taught by Jesus and then modeled for us in the New Testament church. We know that we have baptism, which is that one-time act of identifying with Christ after we have made our decision to follow him. And then the second ordinance is this one, the Lord's table, that we are to celebrate in an ongoing way. One speaks to our initial commitment to Christ. The other one speaks to our ongoing fellowship with Christ and with the church. And we want to spend some time today as we celebrate the Lord's table to better understand what the Lord's table, communion, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, what uh, the Bible really teaches about that and how we can better practice this as the followers of Jesus Christ. And so, as Jordan's already indicated, we're going to be uh, singing and worshiping and hearing the word of God and then pausing at a point during the service to uh, celebrate the Lord's table uh, together. So let's start with the reading of the original uh, establishment of the Lord's table. This is in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. And I'm going to read these verses. There's another extended passage in 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll get to uh, in a little bit. But Matthew 26, verse 26 uh, through to 29. Now, as they were eating, uh, the they here is Jesus and his disciples. This is in the upper room on the uh, night in which he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray together as we look at God's word. Uh, Father, uh, we would pray that you would bless our time together in your word and in worship and as we receive the bread and the cup. Father, as we seek to remember with thanksgiving the sacrifice that you have made for us, we would just plead with you to meet with us and to pour out your grace on us once again because we so desperately need that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, first consider, um, again, we're going to look at this in three parts, but let's uh, consider, first of all, the Eucharist. And in the Eucharist, we give thanks. Now, that's, Eucharist isn't a word that we normally use here. That's a more of a word that's used in mainline denominations. And uh, we would uh, favor maybe more the Lord's table or communion as our preferred a word for this, but in the Eucharist we give thanks. In fact, the word Eucharist is a borrowed word from New Testament Greek. And if I could show you this word, it's actually come to us right into English. The Greek word is Eucharisto, so you can see how we just have taken it into our own language, and it literally means to give thanks. So it's not a bad word to use just because we don't use it. It's a great word to use, in fact, since it comes straight out of the New Testament. And so in the Eucharist, we give thanks. That's at the very root of it. And Jesus modeled this for us in the passage we just read. In the inauguration of the Lord's table, the first thing he did was give thanks for what he was going to give them to eat and to drink. Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 11, again, we'll read that in a few moments. Uh, He paralleled the same things. He made sure to mention that Jesus gave thanks prior to to Jesus uh, dispensing the elements. And so when we gather like this to receive the bread and the cup, it's appropriate for us to thank God for what he's done for us, to pause, to have gratitude, not only gratitude in our hearts, but gratitude literally on our lips to be able to say back to him and to say to others, I'm so thankful for what Jesus did for me, for his sacrifice for me, for his blood shed for me, for his body given for me. I'm so glad, I'm so grateful how this has so changed and altered my life. We're to be grateful for all of this. I love 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Doesn't that just say it? His inexpressible, I can't even get the words out. I'm so grateful. This is so far beyond my comprehension as to what Jesus has done for me. It's an inexpressible gift, and thanks be to God for that. So the Eucharist, uh, first of all, is we give thanks, and secondly, it is we remember. Now, this is knowing. It's one thing to say thank you. It's another thing to know why you're saying thank you. And this is really the why for our gratitude. We remember, and it's so important that we have this simple ceremony to cause us to remember because Jesus knows, and we should know too, we have such a propensity to forget things, don't we? It's just so easy to forget things and to do things out of routine for so long that we just do them mechanically and then we kind of forget why we're doing those things. And Jesus wanted us to come back to this time and time again to remember really what he did to remember the theology behind our salvation. 
This is the what we believe part of the communion. He doesn't want us to ever forget this because we can so easily get off track and drift. So Jesus said, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four and 25, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he told us what he did and what this is about and what we're to remember back in Matthew 26. This is my body, he said. He took the bread and he said to them, this is my body, which is for you. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. These two pictures and symbols are meant to point us to these very important truths that we have to embrace. The table pictures several things, but you could jot these down. Three that I'm going to note here. First of all, the table pictures his sacrificial death. That's what the giving of the body and the shedding of blood is all about. His sacrificial death. That should be obvious to us. And when we're eating it then, the second symbol that's so important for us, when we take the bread in the cup, what we're saying is that we're actually participating in his death. It's not just Jesus who died, but then I'm entering into that death. Uh, Paul put it this way in uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. So dead to self and alive to Christ. And that's what I'm saying when I'm taking the table. I'm once again saying, and when you do this in a few moments, you're going to take the bread and you're going to say, I'm crucified with Christ. When you take the blood, you're saying, I'm identifying, I'm participating in his death with him. It's death to self and alive to Christ. And so this pictures his sacrificial death. It pictures his, uh, our participation in his death. And then I love this part. It also pictures the receiving of the benefits of his death. Uh, so many benefits uh, I could jot down here. Uh, first of all, forgiveness. How many People here are just so grateful your sins have been forgiven. Amen? Just so grateful for that. Because that's the thing that gets us passage into heaven. That's the thing that helps us be reconciled to God. And so we receive the benefit of forgiveness. We receive the benefit of life eternal. We receive the benefit of having peace in our hearts. We, we receive the benefit of that reconciliation with God and now having a relationship with him. These are awesome benefits. Those are just a few of the many. And because this is a meal, a further benefit is this, is this spiritual food that we receive from the Lord. Again, we're talking symbols here. Participating in the table is in fact a means of God's grace to us. We're participating in the way that he prescribed for us to do. And as we do that, as we walk with him, God is using that as a conduit of his grace into our lives. So God, tell me that this isn't true. God fills us. God refreshes us. God strengthens us through the table. I mean, we're coming to this place here uh, today and uh, we've come through a whole week where what the world has done and what people in our lives have done for the most part is just take, 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 take. The world doesn't refresh us. The world is a consumer of us. The world uses us up. And so we come to this place. That's why God says it's so important that we get together every week. We need 
to be together, to sing these songs, to hear the word of God, to refresh one another as the Holy Spirit enables us. And that's the very thing that God is doing as we come to the table and do the thing that he prescribed for us to do. The world consumes us. The table, the relationship with Christ, fills and refreshes us and strengthens us. And this is exactly what we read, in fact, in John chapter 6. And this is one of the most startling passages in all of the New Testament. In fact, when Jesus taught this passage, people then turned away and stopped following him. It was just so hard to hear. But this is life to us. And this is figurative language. Listen, he's not talking literally here, but figuratively, and it's so important that we hear that. John 6, 53 to 57, Jesus said to them, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. There's grace here. There's grace at this table. And he wants us to receive that, to remember what he's done and receive it. And so in the Eucharist, we give thanks and we remember. Well, this is also called... Uh, the communion, which speaks to relationship, it speaks to uncommon community. That's so important to us, that the church would be the church. The relationships that God has created here between brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God, and this expression of it that we call harvest, so important to us. And as such, it's so sobering then when we come to the table of the Lord together that we not take this lightly, or casually, or flippantly in any way. But instead, before we come to the table, we examine ourselves. That's what we see happening in the scriptures. Paul, in fact, in his teaching in 1 Corinthians 11, is addressing a particular problem that was happening in that church around the concept of the communion, the Lord's table. Let me, let me read uh, this for you. This is 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 17, beginning at verse 17. But in the following instructions, Paul says, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine the apostles saying that about your church? You guys are coming together for church, but it isn't great. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Some of you aren't getting along. That sounds like church. <laughs> Too often. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Okay, you think you're coming together to take the Lord's table, and I'm telling you that's not what it is. Again, a pretty stunning, stunning condemnation of what they're doing. 
For in eating, verse 21 says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now here's the deal what's going on in Corinth because obviously there's not enough here to constitute a full meal and that's what was happening in Corinth. They were getting together, they must have been Baptists because they were having like a potluck before communion, okay? So, so they're having a potluck. In other words, people are just bringing food before the, before the communion as part of the gathering of the church and they're all eating. But the wealthy folk, the people who had lots of food, were bringing lots of food and sharing it with their friends. But then there were some people down the end of the table didn't have so much, they're not getting anything to eat. So as the church is getting together, some people are full and enjoying all this sumptuous food, and some people are going hungry. That doesn't sound like the church, does it? No wonder Paul's condemning them. And then, to top it all off, they bring some wine for the communion, and some of them are like... Until some of them are at church and they're tanked. Well, that's not great. Is that the church? Is that uncommon community? No, that's common community. That happens at every bar. Uncommon community would never do that. There would be sharing amongst all. No one would go hungry and no one would be getting drunk because it's such a selfish thing. Period. To become intoxicated. And so Paul's dealing with this very critical matter that's causing this Corinthian church to not even be a church. The members are so self-serving. And it was becoming so apparent at the observance of the table. And so he spoke to them in this letter about how you can take the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. That's really where he goes next. In fact, pick it up at verse 27. We'll come back to the verses we skipped in a moment. They're basically a reflection of Matthew 26. But verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. In the case of the Corinthians. Okay. Some are, some are full. Some are hungry. The full people are drinking it in an unworthy manner. Some are drunk. That's an unworthy manner. But that's not really the core issue. That's the surface issue. The symptom. The core issue is they're acting selfishly. And they're not thinking about the church. Whoever therefore eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. That sounds bad to me. Does that sound bad to you? Profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28 gives a solution. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a person examine himself for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. What's that? What's the body? Body is, is the church. Okay? So whoever eats and drinks without thinking about the church, without thinking about this uncommon community that God is building amongst us, eats and drinks judgment on himself. You're not thinking about the church while you're doing this. You're not getting it right. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That's the, that's the discipline of the Lord on believers. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And he gives them the solution. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And there's a way around this. There's a way to do this right. That's what Paul is saying. But clearly for us, there's the potential to come together and to do this wrong. And we don't want to do it wrong. We don't want to profane the body and the blood of Christ. So I like what Wayne Grudem said about this in his systematic theology. Bear with me in this long quote. When Paul explains that unworthy participation involves not discerning the body, he indicates that we are to take thought for all of our relationships within the body of Christ. Come to the table, take thought to all of these relationships within the body of Christ. Two questions. Are we acting in ways that vividly portray not the unity of the one bread and the one body, but disunity? Second question, are we conducting ourselves in ways that proclaim not the self-giving sacrifice of our Lord, but enmity and selfishness? In a broad sense then, let a man examine himself means that we ought to ask whether our relationships in the body of Christ are in fact reflecting the character of the Lord we meet there and who we represent. You see, if we're serious about this, about not eating and drinking judgment on ourselves, then we're going to make sure that we're in a good place with one another and with God before we would ever take the bread and the cup. And in in something Jesus said in Matthew 5 about worship in general, when believers come to worship, here's what he said, and I think it applies so well here, that if you're offering your gift at the altar, you've come for worship, you're, you're going to bring something to the Lord. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, make sure that your heart, insofar as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. But insofar as it's possible with you, work at it. And then come to worship. Take the table. Give your offerings. And so the communion is we examine ourselves and communion is also, notice this, now we do it together. That should be pretty obvious from what we just said. It's a symbol of our oneness as the body of Christ and is in fact a unifying activity. It binds us together as the followers of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, this is what we saw. As they were eating, Jesus gave it to the disciples, plural. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11, when you, plural, come together, He cited Jesus saying, this is my body which is for you, plural. As often as you, plural, eat this bread and drink this cup. And so this is an us thing. This is an us celebrating this, observing this together as the body of Christ. This isn't something that you just decide at home in your kitchen. You know what, today I'm going to have communion by myself. You can't do that. Now, baptism is a solo activity. The church witnesses it, but it's a solo activity insofar as you make the decision and you participate in baptism. But communion, for all of the days until Jesus comes back, listen, communion is an us activity, signifying our oneness as the body of Christ. In fact, Paul wrote this a chapter before, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ, the church? 
Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so this presupposes, of course, that only those who are true followers of Jesus Christ, those who have professed faith in him and have knit their hearts, bound themselves together with the church, would participate here at the table of the Lord. And so that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna, we're gonna receive the Lord's table together. Got a, a few more things I wanna say about this from the word, but it's, this is the right time. And so maybe you would just bow your heads right now before the Lord. And if you haven't already prepared your heart to be here, then just get in that place with the Lord right now. The servers can come as I read uh, this passage. I'll read the passage, I'll pray, and then we'll serve the elements. When the trays come along uh, your row, there's two cups stacked together. You take both those cups out. The bottom one contains the bread and the top one, the juice. And when everyone has been served, when everyone has been served, uh, we'll take it together. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Father, we would pray your very presence would be in this room and you would pour out your grace in an extraordinary way. God, that you would refresh us and strengthen us and fill us. God, bind our hearts together as the church in this moment as we identify again and participate in the death of Christ, crucifying the self, and reaching again for the holiness of God in our own lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, finally, uh, let's look at this. Um, in the Lord's table, we proclaim his gospel. And we've just taken the table, so that was a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord's table, of course, implies a meal. It's actually an event, and this is an event that proclaims these great truths that we know about Christ and have experienced in our own lives. The table is an announcement once again to this city and county that they need Jesus Christ. Now, I grant that it's a different kind of proclamation for all the creatives in the room. You love it. Because it is creative. It's an object lesson. It's rooted in mystery and intrigue. It's deep and it's profound, even in its simplicity. The two simple elements point to the greatest act of love ever committed on this earth. And at this table is 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death. This is you and me preaching the gospel as we take this together. Those song lyrics we just sang a few moments ago really express this. In taking of the table, what you're saying is, I find my strength, I find my hope, I find my help. You want to say it with me? In Christ alone. When fear assails, when darkness falls, I find my peace. I give my life, I give my all. I sing this song to Christ alone, the King of kings, the Lord of all. All heaven sings to Christ alone. So when I, when I eat this bread, when I drink this cup, that's what I'm saying. My strength, my hope, my peace are in Christ, not in anything else. So this table says something all important about Jesus. It says something all important about you and me. It says something all important about the church. We've seen all of that. And we must proclaim these things and do this, to use the phrasing that we see in the scriptures, to do this as often as we drink it. To do this repeatedly and constantly, regularly as a reminder, as a proclamation of what we believe and whose we are. For us, we do it monthly, not, not every week, so it becomes so routine we don't think about it anymore, but not just twice a year or quarterly because that could just allow complacency to set in and monthly, every four weeks to return again to this table to say, this is what we believe and this is what we proclaim at the Lord's table we proclaim, and at the Lord's table there is hope, and we anticipate. We anticipate his coming back for us. We do this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, until he comes. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's Kingdom. Jesus established the table, ate it with his closest disciples, and then now we wait in anticipation of him sitting down, us sitting down with him in eternity to again share in this table. You see, God created the earth and all that's in it. His beautiful creation was spoiled by sin and the curse of death fell upon it. And we now await the full redemption of the creation, the return to Eden, if I can put it that way. And an eternity of sweet, think about this, an eternity of sweet and unhindered fellowship with our Savior. I sit down at the table with him. And see him face to face where our faith will be made sight. The table looks forward to a day when we will celebrate this meal together. All believers from all points in history. 
in our perfected, sinless state and in the very visible presence of our Savior, Jesus, who made it all possible by offering his body and by the shedding of his blood. And so when you eat this bread, when you take it and eat it, you're saying, he's coming back for me. He's coming back for me. And when you take the cup and you drink it, you're saying he's coming back for me. And he can come back for you too. What a day that will be, amen? What a day that will be. What we have done here with all of the frailties of this time together in a world still tainted by sin, that day is coming. And it's going to be perfect and it's going to be awesome. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for making that sacrifice and for giving us this table to always remember. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us, for coming to this place as we gather here, for your very presence as we give thanks together for your gift to us, for your grace. And until the day you return, may we be your faithful servants, proclaiming and living out the message of the cross to a world that so desperately needs this. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus.